in the big rock candy mountains There's a land that's fair and bright Where the handouts grow on bushes And you sleep out every night Where the boxcars all are empty And the sun shines every day On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees The lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the... Uh, I want to greet our viewers here on... Uh... Aspen Grassroots Television. This is Vince Savage, the director of the Aspen Homeless Shelter, and the name of our show is Homeless in Aspen. Um, before I get into talking with our guests today, I want to be sure to thank all of our sponsors for the Aspen Homeless Shelter, because 90% of our funding comes from the public uh, sources, uh, not necessarily political county sources. They they fund about 25, 20 percent to 10 percent of our uh, budget. But the people I really want to ta uh, thank are the Little no Nell Hotel and Aspen Skiing Company, Douglas Elliman Real Estate, uh, Pitkin County, as I mentioned, City of Aspen, the Thrift Shop of Aspen, uh, and Aspen Valley Hospital as some of our major donors, but also the faith community. St. Mary's Catholic Church, has for over 10 years provided a place for us to do the overnight part of our program. Aspen Community Church as well, uh, Christ Episcopal Church, the town of Snowmass Village, Snowmass Chapel, uh, Fidel Duke of Woody Creek, and the Lewis and Harold Price Foundation, and Melanie and Adam Lewis of Aspen are all among our major donors. Um, we have a mission that we state this way. We keep our mission is to keep homeless persons alive, safe, and fed, and we help them access resources to meet their needs and assist in transition to stability and self-reliance. One of our catchphrases is we like to give people a hand up, not just a hand out. So um, we operate uh, three programs, basically. We have the overnight shelter in the four coldest months of the winter. Uh, at St. Mary's Church. One year we did it at the Aspen Chapel. Um, sometimes we've extended that four-month period into uh, the community church when the weather and the funding and so forth dictates. Um, a second part of our program is what we call the day center, which is a place for people that find themselves without a home to come and do laundry, take showers, use the internet, uh, hang out, just socialize a little bit, uh, look for jobs. We have a dedicated phone line that doesn't get answered, Aspen Homeless Shelter. We can just act like we're a roommate or something when some, anybody can answer the phone there. And then the, the last program is what we call our hot evening meal program. And 365 days a year, we provide a hot evening meal for people with the idea that nobody in a place like Pitkin County should ever go hungry. So that's kind of what we're about. Uh, a couple other things I want to mention before we get into talking, because I think this is going to be a pretty interesting discussion, is that on July 27th and again on August 17th, I believe, we're going to have a tent uh, across from the old Little Annie's uh, at the Saturday Market where we give away free lemonade, take donations, and show off what we call our shameless commerce division of our famous Homeless in Aspen uh, T-shirts. And these are kind of patterned after the old generic labeling deal where it says homeless in Aspen and then down below in a different font says send money. So this is sort of our kind of idea of edgy humor 
but actually for people who can't write checks of $10,000 and so wants to help the homeless shelter out, you can buy a t-shirt for 25 bucks. And uh, there kind of is a cult following around these t-shirts. People buy them on our website and we've had especially college students from as far away as Seattle and Florida on the other side of the continent uh, buy these things and think they're great. And one of our board members, a well-known judge in town, Erin Ely, has bought 12 of them just to give to her, uh, her, her kids and their kids. So uh, that's what we're about. So I want to welcome today uh, Janelle Duhon, who is the director of the Aspen Detox Center. Um, so Janelle, thank you. She, Janelle has a master's degree in counseling, and uh, she, she is a been doing this for quite some time, but I thought maybe we ought to just start by you letting people know how hard was it getting the detox center started? How long have you been around and how does it work? <laughs> oh, thank you, Vince. Um, detox was originally opened um, by another organization in Pickens County in, um, I think, January of 2013, and I worked for them. And then, um, and then I started, I took over the detox in uh, 2016, um, okay. November of 2016, um, and uh, established my own business, Recovery Resources. So, so your, your company name is called Recovery Resources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people use the word detox kind of loosely, like they refer to 28-day CERT treatment or longer-term treatment as detox, when in fact detox really means taking someone who is not at all sober and getting them carefully moved toward a low blood alcohol level or zero, right? Or yeah, we are a clinically managed residential detox. Um, the stay can be anywhere from eight hours to 24 hours, or sometimes it could be three to four days, depending on the level of withdrawal. And you're licensed by the state of Colorado. Yes, we are. And they have certain kinds of requirements, right? Like yeah. Mm -hmm. I know one you dealt with recently was trying to get by on a tighter budget, uh, maybe at certain times of the day when things aren't too busy, had only one staff present, but the state requires now always two. Two. Every, um, every one client, you have to have two staff. Um, you can have up to eight clients for two staff working. And what... What is your, I mean, you're op, you operate out of just across the hall from our day center in the Health and Human Services building. Yes. And you're open 24-7. Yes. <laughs> so that's a burden in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it makes for a very large budget. You have to account for two people on each shift. We do some, some eight-hour shifts and some 12-hour shifts. Yeah, because you can't really predict when someone's going to finally get in bad enough shape to decide, or maybe the cops decide they ought to be recommended to go to detox. Right. Well, not everyone just is recommended, or a, a, the majority of our clients come from Aspen Valley Hospital, and then or Aspen Police Department, or Snowmass Police, or Basalt Police. But occasionally, we do have people walk up to the door. And just want to be admitted. Check themselves in, check saying, themselves you know, in. I'm out yes. of control, help me. Help, I need help, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that a requirement uh, that people have to be willing to get help or ask for help to come? It, they have to be voluntary. It's voluntary. Mm -hmm. It is. So you can't, the cops can't sentence somebody to detox. Right. Uh, uh, a loved one or sober friend can't yeah. just come drop. I mean, I guess they could try if the person right. was willing. 
if they're willing, we take them. If they're not willing, now if they are dropped off by one of the police departments and they're not cooperative or, be, or belligerent, then they'll t they end up taking them to jail for the night and then discharge them in the morning. But majority of the time we do take most of them in detox. A lot of them, as soon as they're sober, they want to discharge. Some, some actually want help, and so that's our goal is to help. That's our motto is to help yeah. the clients create a new story. To help them create a new story. I like that. Yeah. Because they've got a relationship with drugs or alcohol, which a lot of people have some kind of relationship with drugs or alcohol, <laughs> but some of those people have not reached the point where it's out of control yet or they don't know that it's out of control. Right. But when your behavior gets the attention of the cops or certain bartenders or even good friends, friends or, or spouses, lose your job. Right. Yeah, or employers, mm -hmm. you might find yourself being strongly urged to take a look at your drinking behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. But detox specifically means coming in, what, blowing over a point oh eight or No, not it really. Can, it so for detox as long as they don't have to be blowing. They can be blowing zeros, and we'll take them if they're in withdrawal. So if they have any signs of withdrawal symptoms but are sober, we still take them. So tell me more about that, because a lot of what you're doing is trying to keep people safe, the same as the homeless shelter does. Right. Only some of their dangers, if they're drinking and drugging, are a little different than just cold weather. Right. If if um, if we get someone that's um, sober but in severe withdrawal, we will send them over to AVH to be medically cleared. And that medical clearance is um, specifically for medication for withdrawal. So the hospital will um, prescribe a certain medication for the clients. We go over and get the client and we have custody of the medication. And then we um, give the meds according to the, to the script from the doctor yeah. at the ER, and then we we take their vitals every two to four hours. Um, vitals is we check their blood pressure, their pulse, um, heart rate, oxygen level, and then we have we have a withdrawal scale for several different substances, and so that kind of will gauge us whether they're in mild or severe withdrawal. So, what what are the medical dangers of having drunk too much or having used too many of some recreational drug or even a pharmaceutical that's prescribed, what kind of dangers are you protecting people against? So number one, um, going through alcohol withdrawal, you can die because you can have a seizure. And another drug would be if someone's trying to detox off of benzodiazepine, you could also die going through withdrawal. So if someone is coming off of cocaine or heroin, especially heroin, I'm going to say this, is that you're going to feel like you're going to die, but you're not going to if it's just heroin in your system. So in Aspen, we mainly see alcohol and heroin. Alcohol is our number one um, drug that we see. Alcohol is the number one intoxicant, if I can call it that, right. mm -hmm. that people come in with. What's number two? I'd say number two would, number two right now would probably be marijuana. Ah. <laughs> and then I would say heroin's number three. So can you you know, pardon my ignorance, but can you uh, smoke or eat enough cannabis product to need to go on a detox? I, think, I thought we just used to get high and, and get munchies and then pass out till morning. Or. Well, I think a lot of people come here and we're like, oh, you know, marijuana is legal, so they'll go get gummies and then they'll eat more than what they're supposed to and it'll land them in the ER where they can um, 
get really sick from it. So, um, but we don't really see that in detox. What we see in detox <clears throat> is someone coming in with a primary and a secondary. Yeah. And primary is always alcohol. Marijuana is going to be secondary. So you have an arrangement with the Aspen Valley uh, Emergency Department. They call themselves now. I'm so old. I call it the emergency room, but it's always the ED now, not the ER. Right. But, um, and so what happens if someone shows up at their door, they may call you? Yes, they will. Um, of course, they have to follow their protocol yeah. and uh, make sure they're um, safe for, for us. And then they give us a call, and then we come over and get them. So when they are medically stabilizing someone, they're making sure that in their best judgment, the person is safe to come to a non-medical facility where you don't have oxygen and right. everything right there the, in the ER docs. Where the medical clearance comes in. They have to at least be able to ambulate with some assistance in order for us to admit them. Um, and then, of course, just if they have a history of seizures or withdrawal or severe withdrawal, then that's where they'll actually prescribe a medication for them. So then you watch them. We, we, we watch them go through the detox process, and so that's where we monitor them every two to four hours for their vitals yeah. and also make sure medication's given every four to six or every four or six to eight, depending on what was prescribed, and then um, make sure their daily needs are taken care of. And it's not always pretty, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we have stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... I've spent a lot of time working in the addiction field, and most of the work I've done is in residential treatment where people come to us already stabilized. But I've seen plenty of people out of control, mm -hmm. and I'm curious what you do with the behavioral side of it. I mean, if pe some people are sweet drunks, and mm -hmm. like on the old Andy Griffith show or Andy of Mayberry, and the drunken town drunk guy checks himself into the cell, and Right. Closes the door and throws <laughs> the keys on the desk, you know. Well, occasionally we'll get um, people from the ER that um, will be on an emergency commit. Mm. So they've been admitted to the ER multiple times with like a high uh, BAC. And maybe there was an incident. Maybe they found them passed out in a snowbank or they found them unresponsive. When they do, re do revive them and they have a medically stable they, they want us to emergency commit them. So we can actually take their rights away for up to five days, wow. pending they meet criteria. It's not for five days. It's for up to five days. So we would assess them every 24 hours. When we place them on an emergency commit, um, of course, we explain it to them and let them know that it's we're just trying to keep you safe and sound. Yeah, and it's then not that's, a punitive thing. No. You're not finding fault. No. You're just saying, hey, this right. is life and death. Right. Yeah. And that's where we call um, MindSpring's Health Crisis Team, ah. and we get them to come in and assess them for their mental health. So Before, they ask them a bunch of questions. They do. They do a full assessment on them, but that's not done until they're completely sober. So we wait till they're sober, then we call for a crisis team to come evaluate them, and then they'll evaluate and they'll safety plan with them, and then then that's when we decide whether they need to be discharged or if we're going to move forward with an M1, a mental health hold, or if they you know if they might need more um, support for. There's an old health. adage in the alcohol and drug counseling field of. There's no point talking to someone when they're high. Right. So I guess you talk to them, like, lie down or... Yeah, <laughs> we wait. We Yeah, we go ahead and give them their medication, make sure they're, you know, water, food, daily needs, take a shower if they're if they're capable, and 
know, toothbrush and just basic daily needs and vitals. Vitals are very important every two to four hours. And then um, when, when they finally are blowing zeros or if it's um, drugs, then we'll have them um, take a UA. Yeah, and for people who don't know, I mean, I think most people do know what BAC means, blood alcohol content. Content, right. But, uh, you know, anything below 0 0.08 is considered sober. Sober, but they cannot be assessed by crisis until they're zeros. Oh, is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've yes. got to keep them right. until they're blowing zeros. Mm -hmm. What's the highest blood alcohol level you've ever had to deal with in your organization? I would, um, we have had a 0.5, wow. which would... Which is like six or more times the level of sobriety. Right, right. Yeah. And sometimes we'll get the 0.5 at the detox, um, and then sometimes they're at the hospital and they'll wait till their blood alcohol level um, comes down and then we get them. But we have had them at really high um, BACs. And um, and that's where you're, you can't, we don't give them any medication or the hospital will give, or the hospital may pump them full of meds. It just depends on the situation. Um, did APD drop them off to us? But if someone has a blood alcohol that level, I would rather them be seen by medical um, staff before we even try to help them. Because that's enough to kill a horse, Well, that's enough say, right? to, yeah, you, <laughs> someone at a level that high could definitely just, I mean, be in a coma or be dead. Um, but... And I know of cases where people have drank so much, usually hard liquor, because you can only hold so much beer. It doesn't mean you're less drunk, but it just means you, your stomach can only hold so much. Yeah. But people have drunk enough hard liquor to actually just shut down the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they asphyxiate themselves because right. yeah. they they can't they don't they don't remember to breathe. You know. Right. Yeah. Well, it's certainly. A, Interesting, in a town like Aspen, which, let's face it, kind of is a party town. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had homeless people come here saying, hey, we came here to smoke dope and snowboard and <laughs> chase women, you know. And, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, well, maybe not on our dime, but mm -hmm. they might end up coming to you on your dime because they smoke mm -hmm. enough dope or eat enough edibles that, or, or get drunk, drunk as well. Enough, yeah. Well, we do have a lot of people that come from out of state that are here oh, yeah. on vacation or spring break and... Um, they tend to drink a little too much. They forget about the altitude. That has a oh, lot yeah. to do with it. Um, and, and then they end up in detox. So. so do you ever get people that say the police have talked into coming to detox, but then because of their behavior in your, in your uh, place, uh, you have to call the police back because they're so belligerent? Or? We've had a couple of instances where we've had um, clients say they want to be in detox so the police would leave and as soon as the police would leave they were like all right we're i'm out, out. we're yeah. out of here well then now that they're in our care we can't let them leave ah. and so um according so you can't order them to detox but once they're in your care right you can do a hold on them so what we would do is we're allowed to emergency commit hold them till they're sober we could also allow them to call someone sober to come get them, and we would breathalyze that person to make sure, or UA them and make sure, do an instant urinalysis on them to make sure that person's sober, they could go home that way. Otherwise, they're in our care until they're blown zeros. Do you have to discharge them to a sober friend, or once they're sober, they can walk out? Once they're sober, they can walk out. Okay. Yeah. Now, you do more than just detox. I mean, you try to get people to take a look at, 
what got them here? Is there a pattern here? Maybe it's time to think about addressing my right. long-term relationship with alcohol or drugs. And I know I was talking with Don Bird, who used to run the jail here for 30 years and has seen plenty of drunk folks. <laughs> uh, and he was uh, talking to me about how successful you guys are. That He said, you know, we spent 20 years trying to get the right detoxing going, but that Janelle's program, Recovery Resources, is the first one that's really showing the kind of uh, results and the kind of statistics that that we like to see. So what can you tell me about that? Well, we're not, you know, I think a, a lot of detoxes just focus on the detox. Like that, They turn you loose and say, see right. you, we're see you not, next week. I don't yeah. see <laughs> detox as a, a drunk tank. I see it as a place, I, I see detox as the starting point. Like you, you can, you know, finally make the decision if you want to go to treatment and we have the resources and we'll case manage that person and help them get there. So the moment they're in our detox and we can have a conversation, even if they're still intoxicated, we'll still use our motivational interviewing skills to motivate them. And then when they're sober, we continue to do that. And with Did our I hear that 38% or something of the people you get in detox have moved on to right. take seriously the idea of getting into a longer term Each, um, The month of January, I think I brought the stats. Okay. Um, Let's see. January, we had 37% of our admits in treatment. Really? And February, um, 47%. And then in March, 58% of our admits were in are in treatment. Or so that's really a strong statistic because it's the it's nothing like the old revolving door drunk tank. Right. Where. Now, we had a homeless person who you're probably familiar with, whose name, of course, I can't mention, mm -hmm. who was such a dedicated drinker, so to speak, that they would come to us in the morning, having technically detoxed, get some food, get a few things done, and then by mid-afternoon, they'd start drinking again. And by evening, they were back in, back in <laughs> your place mm -hmm. and maybe even back over at... Uh, Aspen Valley Emergency Department. And I think that with that particular person, we saw that go on for days on end. And that's pretty discouraging. So I'm guessing she wasn't one of the ones that easily turned the corner to say, you yeah. know, this is crazy. I need to. Yeah. It's almost like a slow suicide or something, isn't it? Yeah. So it, I get rock bottom for everyone is going to be completely different. Like, and it, that may take. It being admitted eleven times in detox, or it being admitted once. Yeah, maybe to the first up. time you go, I'm so right. embarrassed, I can't. I'm scared myself. Yeah, exactly. I'm do this. <laughs> yeah. Or they could have done it dozens of times yeah. and go, oh, I'm fine. Well, what's great about our stats being able to get that many people in treatment is we have a way out scholarship. So a way out scholarship, or the way, the way out foundation um, has scholarship money to help people go to treatment. So, yeah, because a lot of people have been drinking so long, they aren't doing that well in their work. They financially, don't have any savings left. It's right. gone up their nose or in their throat. <laughs> right. So the idea of paying thousands of dollars to just go to Betty Ford or right. Hazleton or mm -hmm. Sierra Tucson is like not a real possibility. It's not. People don't realize the, the clientele that we get in detox do not have thousands and thousands of dollars to pay for treatment. Who we get <laughs> is your, we get your locals that, you know, are probably making 10, 12, or what, $18 what an hour, yeah. or whatever the minimum wage is here. And so um, 
So having the opportunity to have a scholarship to, to get them to treatment is huge in this valley. And so a way out, as long as the person's motivated, we have them fill out the application. They have to sit down and write a letter stating their goals and what their outcome would be and why they want to go to treatment. And then the way out um, board will meet and they'll approve it or they won't approve it. And so so we have that option. That, so that helps us get people to treatment. But Do they give partial scholarships? So yes. maybe family or mm -hmm. or maybe even the treatment center themselves would take you on a reduced yeah. rate? Some, yeah. And then now we have the, now we have a challenge of how do we get this person to the treatment center? Physically, how do you get right. them Right, how do we get them there? So. I have a couple of times out of my own personal pocket paid for a plane ticket just to get the person there because they went through and they did everything. They jumped through the hoops, they did the application, they submitted everything. And they were so motivated to go but had no money for a one-way ticket. So I, we just, you know, I've done it. I know I've had a staff member do it. I've had staff members drive them as service work to a treatment center. Yeah. That just happened last week. We drove someone to a treatment center. <laughs> um, so yeah. it just, it's, we all try to help these guys. If someone's really motivated, I don't want the transportation part to be, you know, the, the obstacle. The one thing that the stops one obst them. Right, the one thing that stops them. Yeah, I've going, worked yeah. in this field for 40 years in one way or another, at least one foot in the addiction field. And uh, it is a pretty complicated scenario for most people. Mm -hmm. And so how do they decide and to have one thing like the cost of a plane ticket keep you from getting to some place that you think is the right match for you in treatment. Right. That's pretty frustrating, so I can imagine that. Well, we don't like putting someone on a bus because you're not sure if they're going to make it there or not. Those buses stop it right <laughs> next to a lot of liquor I know, stores, don't I know. they? So yeah. it's, you know, we're either going to drive you to Denver to catch your flight or, you know, or drive you to Denver to the treatment center because there's a, there is a treat, treatment center for men in uh, Denver called Step Denver. Yeah. And it's free. Yeah. In and other we words, just got to get the guy. If we you just, care enough. Right. You can go to Step Denver for a year and you'll get you working and, right. and there's a, yeah. Well, there's Fort Lyons, too, whereas if you think you can Fort stay Lyons. sober on your mm -hmm. own, uh, you can live there for up to two, three years. And one of the things that uh, the guy who started Fort Lyons told me about is that the old 28-day treatment program sometimes is not enough time for people to really turn the corner. I think 28 days you're measurable. <laughs> it's just the, you're there and your life has changed for 28 days. I think once you've hit the two month mark, the 60 days, you're like finally getting it. You're understanding, you're learning the education about how the brain works and how addiction works. And then 90 days, you're like, okay, I got this. I'm ready to, to tackle the world, yeah, create my new story. Yeah, technically, you may yeah. not have the alcohol in your system anymore, but the patterns of thinking Pat mm -hmm. and the, I'm going to solve my problem by dropping a pill or taking a drink rather than embracing the idea that, you know, there are other kinds of relationships to have than with a substance. Right. You know, and that those can be very useful. Now, a lot of people get into substance relationships because their human relationships aren't working so great. Right. Well, I think that, you know, you guys do some pretty fabulous work. I'm curious about the interplay between our homeless population and some of our people, let's we call it inebriated population. And uh, we like to think that we are influencing people to make good choices, mm -hmm. but we also realize just how stressful being homeless is. And a lot of people, 
that we've seen, not everybody, but a certain percentage, maybe even up to 20% of our homeless population are people who choose to deal with their stress or their depression by using substances. And normally it's alcohol and marijuana. More than two. something. Right. Well, they're very available. Yeah. And they're yes, they legal. Right. <laughs> It's right. not. It's not illegal to get drunk. Well, it may be illegal to be. It's in public. not illegal to drink yourself to death. <laughs> no, that's right. just sad. It is sad. It's very hard, I know, to get somebody involuntarily into an alcohol treatment program. Yeah. Because we have a legal system that says people's there's, rights are not to be violated frivolously, mm -hmm. you know. Right. And there's so many steps to take when you're trying to involuntarily commit someone. You have to have some history on them. There have to have, you know, there there needs to be several incidents that are documented. You know, you have to emergency commit that person and get a health certificate from the doctor and then you've got to call it. This, the, there's only one person in the state of Colorado that... Yolanda Gray. Actually, Yolanda is retired, she yes. Oh, is she? Has <laughs> she, she finally retired? retired? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. So we have a new person, but it's one person and then, of course, that person has to um, sit down with you with your history. You, d you have to do a chronological order of events and then you have to create a petition and then go to your DA and then get the DA. You know, it, it, there's so it's a, a legal process. Oh, it is. And I suppose at some point along the way, some people say, okay, okay, I'm going to voluntarily go. Yeah. But that doesn't keep them from walking out no. of the treatment center after right. five days or a week or right. something saying, you guys don't like me, I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Well, with our homeless population, we, we have several of, the home, of your clients yeah. and my clients that we've been able to get them to step Denver. Mm -hmm. um, and that have actually been very successful there because Step Denver gives me updates occasionally. And so that's been very helpful. It is a challenge. I think you and I talked about this yeah. before about sending someone homeless to treatment because when they come back to this environment, they're right back to being homeless. So now you're right back to your their daily challenges, and then they just go right back to drinking. It's the same dynamic as uh, mental health treatment. Uh, somebody from a maybe highly dysfunctional family, even though it doesn't look that dysfunctional from the outside, they go and they get to feeling a whole lot better about themselves and they go back into the family of origin and wonder why the symptoms keep coming back because there's somebody hiding in the woodwork there, so to speak. Well, that's why it's <laughs> called a family disease. Yeah. <laughs> and so with detox, we offer, we offer the family of the loved one that's in our detox three free therapy sessions with Beth Berkeley oh, to help really? the family understand what addiction is and then she helps connect them with Al-Anon and so that it, so that's important a lot so what, when we do admit someone we ask them if they have loved ones or family that they would like to be involved in their treatment planning and then we offer them this benefit and Al-Anon started kind of as a secondary thing to AA for people who are, what, enablers, you could call them, or codependents is mm -hmm. another word we've right. heard from uh -huh. in the past. And yeah. So, yeah, um, it's complex, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, see, we have a problem, to talk about it from the homeless side, where we have a place for people to come and not freeze to death and sleep, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, between 10 at night and 5.30, 6 in the morning, which is just enough to get eight hours of sleep. Right. But what, ha what do we do when we have someone show up feeling like this is a God-given right, my place to sleep, but they come in either falling down drunk or belligerent or dangerously intoxicated, mm -hmm. and then we have to decide, huh, 
we, we really get beset with this moral dilemma between are we going to interrupt everybody else's sleep by allowing that person in? Mm -hmm. Are we going to please the police or law enforcement by taking, taking them, them off their hands? Because as Don Bird told me, he said, we've had enough of drunks at the jail, although that still is sometimes the only alternative left. Sometimes it is. Um, so we get in these moral dilemmas between do we live by the rules that the church would like us to enforce and our staff and our other clients would like us to enforce and just say, no, get the heck out, knowing that they might try to be in a car and start the engine all night or pass out with the engine mm -hmm. running and die of carbon monoxide poisoning. Or if they didn't even have a car, are they going to fall in a snowbank somewhere? Right. And as you know, when you're intoxicated enough, you don't feel the cold as much as you would. And people in this valley, not in Pitkin County, thank goodness, but people down valley have done just that. Mm -hmm. Been drunk, fallen in a ditch, and woke up a popsicle, as they say. Right. And that's that's where we get into a dilemma between our major our major mission, which is to not have anybody die. Right. Uh, and then how do we deal with that and the substance abuse piece of it? Yeah, we've we've had a couple of incidents at detox where we've had people that. Um, need more than what more care than what we're what we're capable of like what kind of more care like psychiatric um, or, or no i would say uh, um, medical yeah i'd say medical like um I, I, one in particular would be the person couldn't ambulate like the person can walk at all and so staff had to actually literally pick this person up to put him in the bathroom and so but providing services that you're not you're not equipped to right. Or not we even have that same moral dilemma because yeah. that person was dro dropped off at our door, and we're like, no one wants to take care of them, and we feel like, well, someone has to do something. So then we step in and we do it, even though it's you know it it's not our place, but we don't want that person to be again be out in this you know out and freeze during the middle of winter. Yeah. So that and happens I with both of our programs. The term pariah is a is a word that means somebody that nobody wants to deal with. <laughs> and uh drunk people and drug users and to some extent the stigma of being homeless are something that some people share that commonality that they are people that a lot of people don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing our two organizations have in common. You're right. dealing with the intoxicated individual, which a lot of people are just like, I'm done, you know? Right. Even, you know, a lot of medical doctors who aren't equipped to deal with it. Right. Even some ER units in, in the world mm -hmm. are like, we're not set up to deal with this. No, you know? they're right. It's trauma, medical only, and they just, they don't see that. They don't see the alcoholism or the mental health as trauma. And then there's the yeah. problem of, is this a primary thing, alcoholism or addiction or their intoxication? And what happens if you resolve that and underneath that you realize you're talking to somebody who's pretty crazy? You know, stone sober, they're pretty crazy. They may be belligerent. They may be not making any sense at all and difficult to even take the simplest directions or, mm -hmm. or uh, agree to do what you need them to do. So, again, I'm, I'm hoping that the public sees just how complicated this is. It's never it is. quite as simple as 
It isn't simple at all because during our admit process, we have a series of questions that we ask so we can gauge, we can understand where this person's coming from and we can get a sense for whether there's mental health or not. So when there is mental health, we immediately go ahead and wait till they're sober and we call crisis to come evaluate them because it's so important that you you cannot treat, treat the alcoholism or the addiction without treating the mental health too. They both have to be treated at the same time. That's right. And we get some of our more normal homeless people who are just dealing with homelessness and economic issues and maybe a few attitudinal things or something. But we get somebody into the overnight or even in the day shelter who's talking total nonsense or getting belligerent or uh, attacking other people verbally or even physically. Mm -hmm. And those normal homeless people will complain to me that we can't be in this same room, and we've got one big room, you know, right. like, kind of like you guys. Yep. You've got two little rooms. Two little rooms. Um, so I yeah. wanted to talk a bit about, with you, about the idea of resources. That, um, you know, it's not only complicated, and not only do you guys work magic with your ability to observe people that are intoxicated, we work some psychological jujitsu, as I like to call it, <laughs> with trying to talk people into a more friendly mm -hmm. attitude to be with other people. Are they fit to be with other people around a dinner table? Um, but what, what do you think about resources? I mean, I know your guys' budget is just under a half a million dollars a year currently, and it sounds like could use more and more space. So what's going on with that? Well, I think definitely space. We're really small and the, we're growing because we, you know, we have, we don't just have detox anymore. Like we've, well, we have drug, the drug testing program. Okay, drug which testing. Is, yeah, which is um, pre-employment and post-accident and pretrial services and probation and parole. So that the courts and employers and everybody can get an official mm -hmm. read. Right. Because obviously believing someone who's a drunk or a drug user as to how much they use or when they last used is kind of hopeless. Yeah, because people do tend to lie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a year analysis will give give you a good idea of what's in their system. So we we have that program that's seven days a week, three to uh, three to ten. And do employers pay for that, or do the employee pay for it? Or um, if it is a pre-employment or a post-accident, the employer pays for it. But if it's probation or pretrial services, the the client is responsible for paying for that service. So, and, um, so just like getting your car towed, you know, yeah, doesn't matter that the city towed your car. You got to pay to get it out. You of have the to pay. Inbound. If you yeah. need to drug test, you have to be able to pay for the service, or we just, or you're not allowed to test. What happens when they say, "I got no money"? Then they don't test. That's we do a sliding fee scale for everything except for drug testing. Like drug testing is, you know, we have to be able to cover the lab cost, so they have to be able to pay for the service. See, and, and we like to use the detox services as kind of an honesty, uh, calibrated honesty quotient thing, you know, where, you know, somebody comes in and they're not really getting along too well and they even looking like they might pass out or be dangerous. We don't smell alcohol. We, we can breathalyze. Uh -huh. You know, we do the breathalyzers and it'll tell you right there how, mm -hmm. what their blood alcohol level is. But if it's something that needs a ready test that you guys can do, that's what, cost 30, 35 bucks? Yeah. And our guys are homeless, you know. The right. last time they might have saw 35 bucks in one place was <laughs> in Las Vegas or something. I don't know. But so, you know, we're looking into the idea of how can we do those kind of drug screens as well or find money to pay for you guys to do it. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's a very uh, interesting dilemma trying to help this layer of people in the social strata well, cope. 
It is, and going back to the space issue is you've got, we have three programs in that tiny space going on right now. And so clients are, like, you've got detox interacting with drug testing. you got drug testing and detox going on at okay. the same time, and now we have DUI education, DUI therapy in the conference rooms. And so, you know, our DUI therapist has to come in and out for processing payment. So people are in and out constantly all day long in our really small space. So larger space would be beneficial for office space so we could separate the two so our detox clients are not walking in and out to cook food or grab food out of the refrigerator as a as a DUI clients coming in to pay for their class or as a drug uh, you know a probation client coming in to pay for their drug testing now are so. we still allowing your clients to come across the hall to the homeless shelter to get food I think, I think so yeah I think they're still coming we, we over there cooperate yeah I think know. so yeah um and I guess that uh you know, just this earlier today, you and I walked up to the old ambulance building, mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> this has been a matter of political football or something for a couple of years. Two years ago, <coughs> we hatched the idea that our tight spaces and sort of crazier people being in the same room with normal people wasn't working out too well. Mm -hmm. It was very hard to find a room to talk to somebody about a personal right, that's how issue. Mm -hmm. Same with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whereas we appreciate what resources we have, we're very aware that we need more in order to operate optimally. Right. And one of the problems, too, is if you don't have the resources and then people start criticizing you for not doing what you don't have the resources to do, that's kind of a tough thing to cope with. So mm -hmm. I know you and I have talked about maybe we could talk the county and the hospital to some extent into... Uh, donating this old ambulance building, ambulance service building, mm -hmm. uh, to our programs and maybe some other programs that could operate there too. And uh, I, I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I think both you and I think that'd be a great it's thing. It's a big, I mean, it's a lar very large space at the bottom. We'd have complete separation from your programming and our programming. Sure. We can't just throw everybody in together. No, of course. And then, you know, separate entrances. There'll be some, looks like major remodel, but I think it's definitely a potential for sure. Yeah. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you can't make something like that happen in Aspen, where can you? I mean, we've got lots that of resources would, here. I know. We have no options. I think there's no other options unless we move both programs into the town of Aspen. And then now we're not close to the hospital. Like, it's very it's very convenient and beneficial for the client, for our clients, for sure, um, for detox to be this close to the hospital for transporting. Yeah. We have had to be... Uh, We've had recommendations in the past that there's a little piece of land out by the dog pound, you know, and not only is the, uh, you know, emotional side of that a little bit sketchy, like equating, you know, homeless people or drunk people to dogs or cats, you know, stray dogs or cats. You know, we but, all put our pants on one leg yeah, at a time. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, we want to help people maintain uh, the dignity of their mm -hmm, humanness regardless right. of what their state of behavior right. or economic status is and that's hard for some people too it is hard in With, this town particularly you know which has been sometimes called a gated community of the heart you know like i worked hard for where i got and by god why should we give these people free services or a place this you know a free meal and right. my response to that often is 
do you really want to trade places with this person who may be, you know, 78 years old and practically blind and mean as a snake and won't even give us their social security number? <laughs> Are you really going to gripe that we don't make them have a job, you right. know, in that particular case? And so uh, I think with experience, and we have a lot of volunteers who we like to have volunteers, not only because we like the help they bring us, but it really works the other way too, where once they spend a little bit of time around our population, uh, they begin to understand a whole lot more, mm -hmm. you know, with a lot more compassion, what folks are dealing with. And I don't suppose you can use a lot of volunteers, right? No, well, because because well, of the legal. Well, we'd have to do a background check because because of medication yeah. and yeah. So I, I don't necessarily think. I mean, That's, we could use volunteers for special events. Uh huh. Um, and that brings me to the question about you. You're, I'm Recovery Resources is a 501c3, so yeah. is your organization. Right. We're a 501c3 you, as well. Um, so with the UPS program, so we just recently took over UPS program, which is useful public service, which is alternative sentencing for um you took the whole thing over? We did. Oh, that's good to know. So, I'm glad to hear so that. So I wonder we'll if, you if you're on the <laughs> list for people to be able to get their community service hours. I wasn't sure if you were on that list or not. And I didn't know if that was something that well, you we were. we were for 20 or more years. And then the last time I checked, somebody said, you're not on the list. Oh. And I said, well, we must not have massaged the right because, process to get to, I right. don't know, something happened. But we'll get back on it. We'll have to, yeah. We were actually told one day that... Uh, they couldn't refer someone to us for useful public service hours because it was a conflict of interest. Hmm. And we were trying to think, well, what does that mean? Um, you know, I could see was it was someone who had, was, had a drunk drinking problem. They might not be able to right. refer to have them work with you guys. I know you get people even applying for jobs at times that show up for the interview. Intoxicated. Yeah, <laughs> like that's happened before. <laughs> people a little unclear on the concept maybe at right. times. Right. <laughs> But, you know, we do work together, and I think we can keep working together. Um, we do not have a psych ward in this town. The nearest mm -hmm. psychiatric facility is West Pines, which is great to have it, but it's all the way in Grand Junction. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and not every hospital has a psych ward or a geriatric ward, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to deal with what resources we've got. But, um, well, what else can we talk about? Um, we might as well use up our studio time. <laughs> um, I know that um, we actually at one time were in the same room as an organization called The Right Door. And I think The Right Door was an organization that had something to do with Brad Osborne starting maybe years, yeah, I years think ago. Yeah, I think he started the detox, and I think he was also, I think they were also doing the um, drug, drug testing. Drug testing. I think so. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a time when, I remember this distinctly, we... Uh, had this big, the bigger room, which isn't very big, um, be the room that homeless people came into as a day center, but it was also the right doors room. Oh. And ironically, some of them complained because there were, you know, uh, AA posters on the wall, you know, mm -hmm. and, they, <laughs> and they felt like they were being pigeonholed as drunks or drug users just because they were homeless. We said, no, no, you know, you're, no. it's good for you to be here, but, you know, AA is a great self-help group. You know? Well, it's the best thing that anybody has ever invented to help people um, stay abstinent. Now, I'm a controversial person with 40 or 50 years in the alcohol and drug treatment field because I'm not a recovering person, unless you want to count the times that I've had to swear off 
Haagen-Dazs coffee ice cream, <laughs> which, of course, is a sugar addiction. Yeah. And we're yeah. all, to yeah. some degree or other, almost all people are addicted to some kind of food product or way of thinking. You know, I mean, you could say that liberally speaking. But um, I think that at times um, we, we've run into the issue that some people say, well, you can't be of any help to me because you haven't been in the gutter yourself or you haven't hit bottom and gone into treatment. I was wondering if you have a... Well, well, we encounter that in detox a lot. So yeah. I would say probably half my staff are probably in recovery and the other half are not. Okay. And I'm not in recovery. And I've had a client in detox before when I worked a shift say that say that to me exactly you can't help i you're never going to understand what i'm going through so what i do is i I say no i i i own it i said i know i can't understand what you're going through help me understand what you're going through that's a great you know uh reframing of Mm -hmm. what that's about it's like okay i'm not going to fight you i mean if i don't make it reminds me of the persons that we i used to run the uh 28-day addiction treatment program that was up by Hack Lifts. We mm-hmm. called it ARU Aspen. It stood for Addiction Recovery Unit Aspen. Mm-hmm. Owned by St. Luke's and for a while American Medical International. And actually Ruth Brown, which Ruthie's Run is named after, started it. She funded the place by buying the building that used to be Wendy and Rudy Morris's, the people of Mor- Mason Morris Real Estate, uh, oh, okay. their home. And it came up for sale and they bought it and turned it into a 28-day treatment program, which was nice. It had a swimming pool and all kind of good stuff. But um, we did have the issue with people saying just that. And my response to them was, no, I'm not a recovering person, but do you think every heart surgeon has to have had a heart attack? And that would sometimes stop them. Uh, We did some other interesting things where we had asked people to read the big book, you know, the AA big Mm -hmm. book, and they would refuse to Uh read it. And that's not me. And so we did some, you know, psychological jujitsu again, where we said, well, how are you so sure that that book doesn't have anything to say to you? Mm-hmm. Well, I just know it. I said, well, here, here's a copy of the big book. Here's your assignment. Because they were there, you know, right. 24 hours a day. They had a little bit of time to do things. I want you to go through and read enough of this book and underline the places that you think definitely don't apply to you. Mm-hmm or the things you disagree with in here. And so we were being kind of tricky by giving them a chance to prove to us that it wasn't for them, mm-hmm. they ended up reading the book. <laughs> and nine times out of 10, people would say, oh, you know, I hate to admit this, but mm-hmm. there's some things in here I think would apply to me, even though I'm not an alcoholic, you know, but it does apply to me. You know? Yeah, there's, there's several different um you know, there's AA, there's rational recovery. There, there's a couple of different ones out there, and you just, you know, okay, if AA is not for you, then let's right. figure out what is. You know, don't, what you don't have to right. fight people head on right. and convince them of something they're not likely to be convinced of. Go, right. go with their way and say, okay, right. uh, it doesn't have to be a higher power. It could be my inner power. You know? Right. That's yeah, because that tends to be the stopping sticking point. For yes, some <laughs> the higher power or God. The yeah. God talk. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, I've always been the same way, too. It's like, you know, I don't want to argue about the way to get there. Just let's talk about where you want to get to. Right. I mean, you can walk, you can ride a bicycle, you can Mm -hmm. take a rocket, you know. And uh, I think that's pretty helpful for people. Well, we we tend to have frequent flyers, and some of them are homeless, some of them are not. And uh, Meaning people who come to you often, right? Right. Frequent flyers, you know. Yes. 
And Not so, to be confused with American <laughs> Airlines. Right, right, yeah, right, right. Okay. So, <laughs> though, you know, multiple admits, you know, and it's the same thing over and over again. And, and staff tend to um, just get frustrated. Like, why are we admitting this person because this person doesn't want help? Well, so what I have my staff do is, like, okay, you know what, this may be the ninth time that John Doe's here, but today we, we have to have fresh eyes because this may be the time this person wants help. So that tends to happen a lot with. And a staff person or you don't always know what may have happened out there in their life that right. would what we call raise the bottom. There's an old saying in, in AA and stuff that you just haven't hit bottom yet. Right. When you hit bottom, you will be ready right. to look at being becoming sober uh -huh. or abstinent. Well, there's a slight difference between sober and abstinent, but we won't get into right. that right here. Right. But anyway, um, and I think that um, one of the things that the uh, homeless shelter can do, uh, which is controversial with some of our clients, is we can actually raise the bottom for people. If they're, you know, kind of what we call a functional alcoholic, they're, you know, doing a lot of things, they're wasting a lot of their money on booze, mm -hmm. they're getting drunk and coming in and being belligerent to other people, or they're sabotaging the entire mm -hmm. uh, rationale for why we're there, you know, we call mm -hmm. it biting the hand that feeds you. Mm -hmm. You know, you've just given oh, yeah. somebody a seven-course meal, a hot meal, and then they start swearing at you and you think, wait a minute, right. well, I think you're kind of biting the hand that feeds you here. <laughs> uh -huh. But we can actually raise the bottom on people uh, to um, say, you know, uh, one of our criteria here is that you get along, you know. Mm -hmm. We have a sign on the wall that says, be nice or leave. Mm -hmm. um, and so we could look at what we do is, is, is raising the bottom to people as an encouragement, as an incentive for them to walk across the hall the next time they're falling down drunk, or mm -hmm. even just to, by some other route, decide that maybe it's time to, to look at getting sober. I mean, people have gotten sober for 100 years probably just going to AA. Just going to AA. Yeah. White knuckling it. You right. know, it's oh, possible. Yeah. You it don't is possible. have to spend tons of money. Right. You can decide it's time. Right. Right. So, well, this is pretty interesting, and you know, I hope we can continue to work together as two organizations, and mm -hmm. if it means helping navigate the political or the fundraising aspects of things, I, I think we have enough overlap with some of the problems that our clients have that, right. that we can continue to work together successfully. So what else have you got to say? Hi, <laughs> have, hi. We, have we run the... Run the uh, our only other um, program that I didn't mention is we have our outpatient program. So ah. if someone... Um, goes to treatment, they can come back into our outpatient. So aftercare is very important. Can they go right into the outpatient? Mm -hmm. They can yeah. when they come back for treatment. Or if someone doesn't want to leave the valley, they don't want to go to treatment. Or they don't want to quit a job. If they, they don't want to quit a job, a job but they want some more They want more support than just going to, to meetings, yeah. AA meetings or Al-Anon meetings, whatever it will be. Um, then they can enter into our outpatient program and it'll offer them more support than just go into meetings. So, so Recovery we, Resources has taken over everything that the mental health group MindSprings used to do. I, yeah, I'm not exactly. We have our outpatient program, Health, Hope, and Recovery. It's mm -hmm. not an intensive outpatient. It's just an extended outpatient. Um, I'm not sure if they still offer um, yeah. that I know at one point they had IOP, but I'm not sure. So, But we have taken over the DUI. And IOP so. means an intensive, intensive outpatient. outpatient. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's so much help out there. It's amazing that anybody is still risking their life, you know, 
by drinking or drugging, but that's the human nature, you mm -hmm. know. People play evil can evil on their motorcycles too and risk yeah. their life, so yeah. I guess it's a big thrill. Well, I want to thank you for being here, and we may have covered enough topics here to do two different half-hour shows <laughs> on TV, so you're going to be you're famous. You're welcome. Yeah. You're going to be famous. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, and so let me just say that I'll repeat the fact that we have uh, a big fundraiser coming up on August 18th, 16th, 15th. 15th. Thank you. I got third time's a charm. <laughs> August 15th at the Little Nell uh, Ajax Tavern at the base of the gondola. Mm -hmm. We have a big barbecue cook-off, and you can buy $10,000 tables if you're so inclined, or you can buy an individual ticket and come to that. All the proceeds over, over the cost it takes to run it uh, go to help the homeless shelter. And uh, like I said, we sell our T-shirts and give out free lemonades at the uh, Saturday market. And uh, we just uh, we appreciate all the help we get. from. We have a lot of volunteers that help us go pick up food at Whole Foods and, and uh, places like that. So if you're inclined to want to help, with the homeless shelter and maybe in the process help a few people with alcohol or drug issues, uh, give us a call. 544-5545 uh, is our regular number. And so uh, I guess I want to thank all the viewers for uh, tuning in and listening what Janelle from the Detox uh, re uh, Recovery Resources has to say. She's here in her scrubs, by the way. I had to <laughs> drag her off the job to get her over here. and. Uh, what uh, Aspen Homeless Shelter does. So thank you. In the big rock candy mountains, there's a land that's fair and bright, where the handouts grow on bushes and you sleep out every night. Where the boxcars all are empty and the sun shines every day. On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees, the lemonade springs where the bluebirds sing.